Hi, I'm Shana Gadarian from Syracuse University. I'm here with Seth Maskett from University of Denver, and we're going to be talking about democracy and democratic backsliding in the United States. So, Seth, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Thanks so much for doing with, uh, this with me today, Shanna. Um, uh, so one of the things in the news this week is that there is actually a PowerPoint of the coup. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, pieces of evidence that has been turned over to the House committee that is investigating uh, the January 6th insurrection um, is an actual uh, PowerPoint delineating uh, ways that Trump could have um, essentially tossed out uh, the presidential election results in 2020, um, and and you know remained president indefinitely. So we want to actually talk about like, um, you know, you know basically the threat that American democracy faces, but also just thinking about well, like what if this happened, or what if this happens in 2024, which you know, and theoretically this is the sort of planning that's going forward. Um, when we talk about threats to American democracy, when we talk about an authoritarian takeover or the death of American democracy. Um, we've been kind of curious, what exactly does that mean? What, what is the model for uh, an authoritarian version of the United States? Sure. Um, so I study things that are kind of anxiety producing. So this, this is on the top <laughs> of my list right now. Um, so I think when we talk about democratic backsliding in the U.S., it doesn't look like China. It doesn't look like Eastern Europe even. It probably looks like pre-1965 in Mississippi, where um, we don't have adequate protections for all people to be able to vote and express their preferences, when we have um, institutions that are built in such a way to exclude or to denigrate or to diminish the power of particularly minority voices, and it looks like minority rule. Um, and so that might add the margins look very similar to what everyday Americans experience right now, right? Many people don't think about politics in their everyday lives. And so it might not, it's not going to mean empty grocery shelves, or it's not going to be mean, mean that the government's taking over the economy, but it might mean that come election time, your vote matters quite a bit less than um, it would now, or that it, depending on where you live, you have very, very different kinds of rights. Does that, is that consistent with what you think, or is there some other model that I'm missing? I mean, th this sounds right to me, and I, I I think it's good to try and be precise on this because you know I, I don't think we we hear a lot about like decline of democracy without a great sense of what that really looks like. Um, uh, we were talking earlier about um, a piece that Tom Papinski wrote a few years ago um, on you know basically how you could be living in an authoritarian regime and not even know it. The, you know, the, the idea that is you know for most people. Um, living in an authoritarian regime is not that different from life in a democracy. That is, you know, they, they still have a job, they have a home, they have a family, they go to work. Um, it doesn't necessarily interfere with their day-to-day -day lives. It might if you're a journalist, if you're a scholar, um, if you interact in some way with the government. There might be more subtle influences on the quality of your life, on the availability of health care, of services. And, you know, when it comes to things like elections, um, you might have a lot less freedom there. You might have a lot less choice. Um, and it, it might be, you know, like, like you were saying that, um, you know, you may be able to vote for the party that you care about, but there might be a lot of institutions built up to, uh, you know, to, to make it less likely that they'll win, even if they get more votes, less likely that they're able to govern. 
Um, and, you know, that's sort of like a competitive authoritarianism uh, style that in some ways, yes, we have seen in uh, a lot of southern states um, at various points in American history, maybe something similar to what's been occurring recently in, in, in Poland and Hungary and some other countries around the world. Um, I guess sort of the next thing is if, if you see that coming, like what is what is something you can do about it? Is there is there are there ways to prepare for it or to mitigate it? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I think about as someone who studies the mass public, which is how, I mean, we have a lot of scholars who are kind of ringing the alarm bell very loud right now, and journalists mm -hmm. who are very concerned, and nonprofit groups who care about voting rights, very concerned about these attacks um, on voting rights. So I think part of the question is whether you can get the public, um, maybe if not the mass public, at least nonprofits and interest groups who care about voting rights out there on the streets protesting, making um, very clear that voting rights are under attack, they are very much um, at risk, and how do you um, also elect people um, who give a, you know, who care about voting rights and make it so that it's in the interest not only of their party, but of democracy to extend the franchise and to kind of secure voting rights. Um, are there other things that we could do as a kind of as scholars or a society? Well, in some ways, this is very it's frustrating that more people don't seem to be have their hair on fire about this. I mean, certainly, you know, some scholars and journalists do. But, you know, uh, people seem to ask, well, what should what should Democrats be doing? What should journalists be doing to make people aware of the crisis? I'm not sure if they could do anything as effective as Donald Trump did, um, you know, by essentially staging a coup. And uh, it scared some people, but we've also seemed to move into just accepting that as simply part of the country.